Well, welcome to Challenge. Uh, I know that you know people are coming from a lot of uh, a lot of different places, a lot of different backgrounds, a, a lot of different uh, settings as you come into here. So if you're someone, you walk in, you kind of think, hey, you know, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, like I, there's a lot of people sometimes and I'm not sure how to deal with a lot of people. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Because you see, one of the things you'll find is there are some people that are just like you right here that are really looking forward to getting to know you. And for some of them, you know, crowds just scare them to death as well. So, uh, you know, it's okay. So, you know, don't worry about that. You'll have small groups you can jump in and be a part of. But your contribution in large group time is going to be really important, too, because there's things you bring to a group that nobody else does. And so we would really welcome you to be a part of both of those. I think that'd be fun for you. Um, what we use easily do it challenge. Is this working? Are we fading in and out? We're kind of doing okay. We're good. Um, what happens at challenges is usually we have a topic and we'll kind of look at that for several weeks and, and kind of learn some different things about it. And then, you know, a lot of times we'll jump on, we'll move on to another topic. Uh, why we do that, we want to, one, look at the Word of God and figure out, okay, how can we make sure that, you know, the Word of God is really making sense to us? So we want to uh, dig into it for that reason. Secondly, we want to dig into it because we want to figure out how can we personally apply this to our lives? One of the promises you see from Scripture is if you dig into God's Word and actually do it in such a way so as to apply it, then your life really does well then you actually have like a firm foundation. Where on the other hand, if you look at it and you don't do anything with it, then scripture says, ah, it's going to be like Houston for you. You know, it's not going to be good. And so you want to actually have a real firm foundation. I know it's too soon. Uh, you want to have, uh, you know, all the people in Houston, that's my home. Uh, you know, I, I know it's bad. Um, but you know what? You, you want to have a real firm foundation. You want to do that. So that's what we're going to do uh, tonight. Tonight we're beginning a series in First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 10, and Paul reminds the Corinthians there, he says, um, there's stories that we encounter, and they are written for our instruction. And what Paul says is this, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So basically what Paul is saying is this, God has selected certain people, and he has selected certain stories that he's recorded in Scripture with the purpose so that we would really learn from them. So we would pick up on a lot of things that, that he has reserved for us so that our lives could actually be, be better and we wouldn't have to worry about it. So as you're looking at a story in scripture or as you're hearing a story, either one, you need to pause and ask God, God, what are lessons you would like me to learn from this that I'm listening to right now? What, what are the lessons you're wanting me to pick up? face a whole lot of decisions this year. In fact, you've probably faced a whole lot of decisions this week. We talked about that a little bit last week. There's like 800 plus um, groups on campus, like all kinds of clubs and stuff like that, which thank you, by the way, it means you had to have said no to at least 799 other clubs uh, to be here tonight and for which we're grateful. You know, I mean, glad to see you. Um, there's all sorts of decisions you're going to face, decisions you're going to have to make. Now, you can make those in one of two ways. You can learn from people who've already had to make those kind of decisions, and then you can make Why is this doing this? Why do you think you're? Or, or maybe we're using another microphone. Um, or you can, um, you can actually repeat the same mistakes that they made. 
And if you repeat the same mistakes they made, what you find is, you know, you have to go through the same pain and everything else that they went through in order for that to happen. So, you know, either way, you're going to learn. You'll learn both ways. Is that falling off again? Let me get that back up here. See what happens when you take it off the first time? It does not work well. Um, you know, you can learn either way. You can learn from, uh, from just being goofy and having to do it all yourself, or you can learn from others. Either way, you'll learn, but it's a whole lot less pain if you learn from the things that God wants you to learn from. In fact, the very reason God has placed stories like that in Scripture is because what He wants us to do, He wants us to have the best life we can possibly have. And He wants you to have a life that's with the less, least pain needed in order for you to live it. So if you begin to learn those things, it's really a good thing, and it'll, it'll really benefit you. Now tonight, one of the stories we want to look at is... Um, found in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of uh, this story of kind of, it's kind of um, this faith hall of fame. And if you look there, the people that are in this are not there because of any kind of athletic or, you know, musical accomplishment or anything like that. But they're there because in one point or more in their lives, they faced a decision. They really listened to what God had to say about it. And then they took action that really made a difference in their time, in their sphere of influence. And so uh, tucked away in this roster of kind of faith's hall of fame here, you know, you have this rather unlikely hero. And that's found in Hebrews 11, verse 31. And it says this, up here, there we are. By faith, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. How many of you would like a nickname like that? You know, isn't that nice? You know, what's your nickname? Oh, the harlot. You know, I mean, you're thinking, hmm, not good. She's also mentioned another time in scripture. Matthew, when Matthew begins to write about the lineage of Jesus, and he's talking about, here's how you can trace Jesus's lineage all the way back in time. One of the people he brings up here in Matthew 1, 5, is this. Only take note of something this time. Notice how the nickname has kind of disappeared. Here he says, Salmon, now we'll find out about him later, was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David the king. The most famous king in the line of Israel, you know. So how did she become this different woman? And how did she become like this, uh, this woman of faith? How did, how did she become that kind of a person? And that's what I want us to look at a little bit. But to understand that, what you have to do is you have to kind of go back and understand some history behind it. So, so that you know this, before all of this went on with Rahab and in Jericho, about 650 years before um, there was this big battle of Jericho, God had promised a guy named Abraham. He said, I am going to make a great nation of you. And he said, I'm not only going to make a great nation of you, but I'm going to give you this land of Canaan, all of this land that you see. It is yours. I have given it to you. I've given it to your descendants. And your descendants are going to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. So Abraham, if you remember any of the story, if you've got a chance to read this yet, Abraham has a son who has another son. And his son goes down into Egypt, and with all of his kids and everybody he has along with him, there's about 50 people. Time passes, they exit Egypt. 
Now there are like two million of them. And they begin to come back. Now, after wandering in the desert for a number of years, they begin to move towards reclaiming the land of Canaan, the promised land for them. And they come up to Jericho. Now, Jericho is this mighty city. It's this fortified city. And they come up to Jericho. And when they come up to Jericho, Joshua, who's the leader of this crew at the time, he decides, okay, you know what? Let's send in a couple of spies. Make sure we can feel this thing out. So they send in two spies. The spies come in and they're trying to be inconspicuous and they're trying to figure it like if you would if you were a spy. Uh, so they're coming in and they try to figure out where they're going to stay. So they end up staying in the house of this prostitute named Rahab. And they go there to stay. But the problem is somebody has seen them come into the city. And so the officials of the city go over to Rahab's house and they say, you, you've got to bring the guys out here. We know there were some men that came in to spy out the land. We know they came to your place. You need to bring them out. And so Rahab, at the risk of her own life, lies through her teeth and says, oh, no, 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 no. It's not like you think at all. And this is what she says. She says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly and you will overtake them. And then in verse six, she says, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So she tells them, hey, you know what? These guys were here, but they took off. I don't even know who they were. I mean, they were just stopping by. You know, I mean, have you heard my moniker? I am Rahab the harlot. And they were going, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And so they're all like taking off. So they all go off and they go to chase these men. Now, when they go off to chase the men, Rahab goes back up on the roof. And when she gets back up on the roof, she pulls the men out. And she begins to explain to them why she did what she did. So we look at that in, in verse 8. And in verse 8, she says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that a lot of times. You read it and you just kind of go right on by it. You ever done that? I mean, for those of you who read it, you know, you kind of read it. Did you hear what she said? I mean, she says, you know what? We have heard what you did. We have heard about. Now, think about this with me for a minute. They did not have CNN back then. They didn't have NBC. Thank God. I mean, they didn't have things. They didn't have things like, I mean, they didn't have Fox. They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have anything like that. They had no radios. They didn't, I mean, and if you stop and hear what she's saying, she's talking about when they left Egypt. That was over 40 years earlier, which means she probably wasn't even born yet because the, you know, average age range for harlotry is probably not going to be like into your 60s, you know? So, I mean, that's probably not happening. So, you know, you're sitting there thinking, okay, she's a young gal. 
She probably didn't. How did she even know about this? You know how? Probably some passing caravan. Some camel caravan that had passed by years and years before left them word about, did you hear what happened with this God of Israel? Oh, my gosh. And they tell about the Red Sea, how it all parts in Israel. All two million of them walked through on dry land. He tells about how they didn't even have to work. And I mean, God destroyed these other groups before them so that they could come back and possess this land. And on the basis of rumor, 40 years old, she stakes everything. She stakes her entire life on this. When you begin to look at her, you know, you realize that she saw something about faith that most of us don't see. And that's this. Faith is not about just believing. And it's not about just trusting. It's about trusting and acting. You have to actually act upon the very trust that you have. That's, that's the whole thing with the story of faith. You have to actually act upon it. She began to do that. Now, when we think of faith, a lot of times, we tend to think about faith in terms of acquisition. Like, I'm trusting God for a girlfriend. Or, I'm trusting God for a car. A nice car. Uh, and a nice girlfriend. Uh, you know, so we, th- we tend to think in terms of things like that. We tend to think in terms of acquisition. You don't want to just trust God for acquisition. That's part of it. But you want to trust God for action. You want to trust God enough that you're willing to act upon the very things that he said. So if you want to, you know, be like Rahab, one of the things you have to do is you have to begin to think, okay, what are instances where I need to really exercise faith? What are instances where I need to, you know, take action? And uh, what I'd like to do tonight is, since we're at the first of the semester, I'd like to talk about one specific area with you. There's basically four areas that you want to really, where you're going to need to exercise faith. I'll mention three and we'll talk about one. You know, one, you're going to need to exercise faith when it comes to beginning a relationship with God. I mean, there's evidence that's there. You can study it and you need to. You look at things. But there comes a point where you have to decide either this is true and I'm in or, you know, I I don't think it is. So there's got to come a point where you actually take action. You know, you need uh, you need to exercise faith when when you have times of trouble. Now, some of you have already faced those. I know I've had several conversations around, you know, some of you've already faced those this semester. You've thought, my gosh, you know, how did this happen to me? It's only been two weeks in, you know, and you're like, well, you know, those things happen, you know, but you, you, you need to really have faith. You need to take action as you face times of trouble, as you face the future. Some of you are seniors. So it's like now it's beginning to get real. You know, I mean, when you're a sophomore, you're like, I think psychology is a great major, honestly, you know, and then you get to be a senior and you're kind of going, oh, oh, what am I going to do for a job? My gosh, you know, and you start thinking, I know, I know, I'll tell you what, you know, I know I had one of those, uh, I had one of those majors and, uh, you know, it's one of those things you begin to suddenly have to really trust God as you face the future. It's one of those things where you're like, uh oh, 
man, it, it just got real. I have, I have to actually do this now. But one of the biggest ones that you're going to find this semester, you have to really trust God as you make choices. And that's the fourth area, and that's the one I want us to focus on a little bit. You know, on TV, what you see is kind of like um, faith for things. What you really need is faith for obedience, faith for actually trusting God and working on that and acting on it. So, you know, what kind of choices are we talking about? Well, one of the very first ones you're going to face, especially if you're brand new here, you know, you need faith in making choices in friends. Um, Proverbs um, 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now you think, well, why, why is that? Well, because what do you think foolish people do? Foolish things. That's right. And you know what? When foolish people do foolish things and you're with them, oh. I mean, have you ever had one of those things where you were with a bunch of guys and some guy goes, you know what I think we ought to do? And you go, what? And then the next thing that happens, you're like, why did we do that? You know, I mean, you know, or you're explaining to your parents, you know, the reason these nice people with the sirens brought me home was because... We had a great idea earlier. Did I tell you about it? You know, and you find those things. I mean, I remember being in my freshman year and I remember there were these there were these two groups that I kind of ran with when I first got to school. And there was this one group, you know, like I had kind of grown up. You have to take this by faith, but I used to be a jock. And so, uh, you know. (laughs) So there was this thing, like there was this one group and they were kind of like, you know, former jocks. And so they would all kind of sit around and we'd be jockish and, and uh, do those things and talk about those things, et cetera, et cetera. But these guys, you know, some of them, you know, they kind of, you know, they, they would kind of go to church and stuff. So I thought, yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of in kind of uh, with, with God and stuff. And, but they were just, you know, into other things. And um, then there was this group of a, a group of guys I met who actually began to make decisions based out of Scripture. They actually looked for ways to encourage each other. They actually ran with each other. And I'm not talking about like outrunning. I mean, they actually like went together with each other and kind of took care of each other, looked out for each other. They, they actually lived out what Scripture talks about in community. And I remember... You know, the, you know the difference between those groups? This group, this one group, like former jocks, everybody thought, those guys are like so cool. They're just so cool. And, you know, when you're young, you think, you know, right next to godliness is cool. Uh, maybe a little bit above. Uh, you just don't know. You know. But, you know, you're kind of wrestling with that. And I remember there came a time when these guys said, hey, we're going to go do this. And these guys said, hey, we're going to go do this. And I thought, at the same time? Because up until that point, you know, I'd been able to kind of run and I had to make a decision and I had to decide, am I going to go with these guys or am I going to go with these guys? And I, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, and kind of thinking on down the road a little bit. And I thought, the days of jockdom are, are gone. And uh, so I just kind of walked away from that and ran with these other guys. And you know what? I have never regretted that a day of my life. I mean, those guys, honestly, you know, years, years later now, I mean, I am still really good friends with many of those guys. 
we continue this many years later to look for ways to really encourage one another, to really, you know, spur one another on. That continues on. You know those other guys? Many of them, they're not even friends with each other anymore, much less, you know, other folks like that. And, and it's really, it was one of those things that this verse really came home to me in a new way right then. You want to really have wisdom. You want to really trust God and look at what he says when it comes to making friends. Why? When you pick your friends, you pick your future. And so you want to really look at that. You want to, you want to be wise. The second thing, um, you're going to need um, faith when you begin to think about what kind of student am I going to be when you face that choice. Now, some of you have just, you know, begun to realize, you know, they, they have class like all the time here. I mean, when they say we're meeting three days a week, they like mean it and they give assignments. I mean, I don't know about you. When I first got to school, I wasn't really that much aware of that. And I tried not to let school get in the way of my education. And I came in and, and it was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, I didn't really have to crack a book that much in high school and, and, and do really well. But then I got to college and I thought, we're in big school now. I mean, you know, they had big books and they had reading all kinds of things. And I was like, oh, wow. And it's real easy to kind of slide. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying, you know, the priority for your life is school. No, it's really not. I mean, if you make school your priority now, then one of these days you'll get out and you'll just transfer that from school to your job and you'll make job your priority. And no girl in the world wants to be married to a guy whose job is his priority. I mean, let's just face facts, you know I mean? So it's just not how it is. You will be single your whole life. Uh, so, uh, you know, what you want to do is, you know, you want to really make walking with God and getting to know him your priority. Now, as a result of doing that, you ought to be a really good student. That ought to be something that you do. Here's the reason why. Colossians 3 right here. Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that it's from the, re from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. What that verse is really saying is this. It doesn't really matter what prof's name is on the syllabus. The one you seek to please is Jesus himself. So whenever you're working on papers, whenever you're, you know, working on homework, whenever you're thinking about, should I attend Jesus's class or not? Uh, you know, whenever you're thinking about all those things, it's a real good idea to approach those things from the vantage point of, you know, what would be a really good way to do this? And if you'll do that, what you'll find is, You'll be a great student and you'll have a lot of fun and you'll, and you'll do really well. And it'll be good. But you need faith to really trust God that if I really handle this like you're talking about there in Colossians, will I still have fun? You will. And you'll get to be in school while you're having fun. And so it'll be even better. So it's a, it's a good thing. You know, a third area that you're going to find is just in the area of moral decisions. In moral decisions, in 1 Corinthians 6... 18 through 20, Paul writing to the Corinthians says this, flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? 
For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, one of the things that we tend to think sometimes is we think, you know, I think when it comes to immorality, I need to really resist it. No, that's not what he says. There are things to resist. But when it comes to immorality, he says, no, this is the point, flee. That means like get out of there, like leave, go, run, hence, get gone. You know, you don't, you don't want to sit around and think, I think maybe we'll sit down and discuss this. No, no, just leave, you know, just move on out. You know, now, a lot of times I know when you think, well, but, I mean, this is just physical, right? I mean, it's not really going to impact me. I mean, honestly. I mean, really? No, no, no. That's what he's talking about here. He says, do you not know that every other sin is outside the body, but an immoral man, he actually sins against his own self. He sins against his own body. There are things that you will carry with you a lot of times your whole life if you don't pay attention to that. You can ask anybody that has made mistakes in that area, and what they'll tell you is, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. It'll mess with you. I mean, you just don't want to do it. And so, you know, you could save yourself a world of hurt by simply learning from others and beginning to move forward and making wise decisions. And then lastly, just in getting to know God, in getting to know God, in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13, Jeremiah says this. He says, then you will call, God speaking in this verse, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, if you know much about Jeremiah, the um, verse right before this, Jeremiah 29, 11, where he says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And a lot of times we think, yes, God has plans. Let me tell you what they are, God. And God's like, no, I have plans. And, you know, what God's plans are is for you to really get to know him. And if you'll do that, you will experience one of the richest lives that, you, that you've ever imagined. I mean, you will have more fun and you will have such a, a rich life that, you know, you will be amazed at the difference God makes in your life. So acting in faith, you know, that can be... That can be a little scary. I mean, it was scary for Rahab. She could have lost her life. But you begin to look at her. What she experienced was something very different. When she acted on faith, she began to experience the very same thing that you will when you choose to act on faith. She experienced the grace of God. The grace of God is simply this, if you look right there. The grace of God is God working in you to accomplish what you could never accomplish on your own. God working in you to accomplish what you could never accomplish on your own, such as coming into a relationship with him. You know, you can never accomplish that on your own. But if you trust God, step out in faith, you can. So Rahab went from being known as Rahab the harlot to being this gal who was, you know, brought into the family of God. And it wasn't like she just was brought in. It wasn't like, you know, Okay, she brought in, but she had to kind of sit over here in this special seat, you know, like where it probably goes, hey, you know, uh, what's the H on the seat stand for? Oh, harlot. You know, I mean, you know, it wasn't like that. She was brought in, and what God did, God 
raised up this guy who we read a little bit about earlier named Salmon. He comes in, he looks at her and he sees her for exactly what she's become. This beautiful woman of faith. And so long and the short of it, he ends up marrying her. You follow the story on through what you find out is she becomes this gal who is not only well respected, but she becomes this gal who is the mother of kings. And she becomes this gal who ultimately in her lineage comes the Lord Jesus. And so you begin to look and you begin to see God totally changed her life. Her, her story is just one of faith and one of the grace of God. She trusted what God said and she acted upon it. Now, a couple of questions as we wrap up. I've got several questions for you. One, any of you ever wish that you had kind of a label that you could shake? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's the way other people have thought about you. Maybe it's the way you've thought about yourself. Anybody ever think, yeah, I'd sure like to get rid of that. I would sure like to not be known as like, you know, Neil the, you know, whatever that is. Or are there those of you that, you know, you may be thinking, my, my past, that's what determines my future. It's just going to be more of the same. Or are any of you facing decisions in some of the very areas we just talked about? Like friendships, school, relationships, moral choices, to where you come to a point and you've got to really decide, am I going to trust God and act on what he says, or am I not? What I would encourage you, trust God enough to act. Trust him enough to act. Trust him to the point that when he says something, you really decide, you know what? Like Rahab, I am going to roll the dice and bet everything on. You know what you find with her? She did. It was a blessing to her. It was a blessing to her family. And it was a blessing to the entire nation. Because like I said, she ends up being the one who's the mother of kings. So I would encourage you, you know, look at what God says. As you're reading the stories of Scripture, as you begin to read through some of these, pause, ask God, God, what do you want me to learn out of this? And then take it and begin to put it into practice. Begin to act on it, and God will really come through for you. Let me pray for us, and the worship team is going to come back up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, your word is very... Um, Challenging and at the same time, God, so, so uh, helpful so that we don't have to uh, we don't have to go through life wondering what to do or how to do it, how to make decisions. But God, you've given us you've given us real opportunity to uh, to live life in a way that is really different and in a way that will really uh, bless us and bless others. So help us to be wise enough to uh, take your word, put it into practice. And we pray those things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.